If you have your sermon notes, and I hope you got a bulletin, why don't you open that up, and you'll see there um, a set of notes that will be important to you. And I, I, I encourage you, if, if you like, you can hang on to them. We will be doing notes all the way through this series. That's six months of notes. Then you can staple them together and have a nice little book. Uh, you might have to hole punch them at that point. But um, we're going to begin, as we did last week, by simply stating the proof that we're talking about. And when we say proof, um, we're talking about the fact that, that we believe we can live out the Sermon on the Mount. Here's why, okay? And so what we're going to look at this morning is this, that we have been divinely enabled to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount because, proof number two, we are a new creation. And we begin this second proof with the very first sentence of the book of Matthew. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 1, and in your notes, it you'll notice the title there is Genealogy or Genesis. Genealogy or Genesis. Now, if your Bible is like mine, you've got a nice little subheading here, and it reads, Genealogy of Jesus. And you say, well, I always trust my subheadings. I think that's a perfect title here. Well, let's read the text together and, and see what we find. It says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it goes on to say that Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, uh, and his brothers, and, and goes on. And you say, well, that makes perfect sense. That is a perfect subheading. At, at first glance, it would seem in our English translations that this indeed is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And what follows is, is just that. It's a genealogy. Now, what is a genealogy? And this is what I want you to write down. A genealogy... And I think the best way, especially for our purposes this morning to see it, is that a genealogy is a historical account or record of procreation. Now, children, you can go home later and ask mom and dad what procreation is. You're welcome, parents, okay? Uh, that's what a genealogy is. That's what it does. It, it, it just lists in details a, a record of procreation. Now, there's only one problem in, in this verse of Scripture, of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, is that in the original language, this sentence is much more than just that. So let's look at it together, if you will. All of you that, that read Greek, uh, there I go. Uh, now I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, and uh, it has been a long time since I've taken my Greek classes. However, I will tell you that first word is, is biblos, okay? That second word, that is a G, uh, E-N, okay? That is, that is Genesis, literally, Genesis, that's what the second word is. And those next two words, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christo, okay? That's how it appears in the Greek. Now, that is the opening sentence of Matthew chapter 1. It, 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 it's Biblos Genesis is how it, they would pronounce it. Uh, Jesus Christ, or, or, or Biblos Genesis, Jesus Christ. Now, here, that is a very different word from genealogy. Genesis is, is a word which it, it, it deals with the very nature of something. More specifically, Genesis is a word that deals with the very origin of the nature of something. Okay, So here's how we're going to define Genesis. Genesis literally means origin. Uh, the, the book of Genesis is the book of origin. And, and here's a little sub-note for you. Origin, or Genesis, is not a word used for procreation. It's a word used dealing with new creation. In fact, this phrase, as it appears exactly, only appears twice in all of the Old Testament. Only twice. 
in both those accounts, and, and you can write these accounts down, both those accounts are, are dealing with, with new creation. We'll get there in a second. Now, you may say, Pastor, listen, is this really important to us? I mean, honestly, the, the, whether it's a difference between genealogy or Genesis, does that really make a difference in the greater scheme of things? And I say, yes, I, I think it could be vastly important for us this morning. Why? Because Matthew is a Jew. Because Matthew's a Jew, and we talked about this last week. He's writing to a Jewish audience, and, and he did the same thing with Moses, remember? He used all those great illusions of Moses and Jesus. He was, he was showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet that Moses spoke about, and he did that through his writing. And, and, and what I would tell you is that Matthew is a very intentional writer. He doesn't write something he doesn't mean. And here in the very first sentence of Matthew chapter 1, he talks about, Genesis of Jesus Christ, okay? L.T. France, who, who write, uh, writes a great commentary on the book of Matthew, by the way, it's, uh, I call it the Nicot, uh, N-I-C-T, I think, uh, commentary says this. He says, the first two words of Matthew's gospel are literally book of Genesis. And this is what he says, and this is what, what grabbed me. The effect on a Jewish reader is comparable to that of John's opening phrase, in the beginning. You think about that. When we read John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. We, we immediately think about Genesis. We think about the beginning. He says, It's the same way. Jewish men and women, when they heard the opening phrase of Matthew 1, would have immediately, their hearts would have immediately turned to Genesis 1. Immediately. He goes on and he says, The theme of the fulfillment of Scripture is signaled from the very start, and these opening words suggest that a new creation is now taking place. And so let's get into that. Uh, our case for new creation. Three three points this morning and they'll, they'll go very quickly. Number one, we begin with the title or the first sentence of Matthew 1. Book of Genesis. Book of origin. It, it, would, it would translate best if we, if we all read Greek. Which we don't. This is how it would translate best. It would say this is the book of the origin of this is the book of the origin of, and as I mentioned a second ago, that exact phrase only appears twice in all of the New Testament. It appears in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, which would read something like this. This is the book of the origin of the heavens and the earth on the day that God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2, 4. I want you to notice it's about creation. The only other time that this, this phrase appears exactly as it stands is in Genesis 5.1. And there it says, this is the book of the origin of man on the day that God created man in his own image. And you go on there with Genesis 5.1. Both occurrences deal with creation. Now, hear me, there are plenty of places in the book of Genesis that, that, that are just genealogies. There's lots of genealogies in Genesis. Have you ever noticed? And so and so begot so and so and lived so many years that begot so and so and lived so many years and begot so. There's lots of genealogies, but get this none of the genealogies use this phrase. None of the genealogies use this phrase. None of the genealogies use this phrase. None. This is a phrase that does not deal with procreation, it is a phrase that deals with new creation. And from the very beginning of Matthew chapter 1, we find this phrase is used, a phrase that always deals with new creation and new life. That's how Matthew introduces his gospel. It's a big deal. Point number two. 
we look at the, the, the baptism of Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Now, when we talk about the Trinity, we just sang about that a second ago. God the Father and uh, the Spirit and, and Jesus. We talk about um, the one God who presents Himself in, in, in three distinct personas uh, for, for us to see. When, when we talk about the Trinity, we really, as pastors, we turn to three places um, to, to talk about that. Number one, we turn to creation. We look at Genesis 1, and we look at John 1, and we put those things together, and you have God speaking, and, 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 and you know, in the beginning was, was, was the Word, and the Word was uh, God, and the Word was with God, and so we Jesus is there, and, and, and God is speaking, and the Holy Spirit is hovering. There are all those things going on, Genesis 1, John 1, 1, laid on top of each other. The second place we turn is the baptism of Jesus, um, the, the section of Scripture we're about to look at. And then the third place we would turn is to the resurrection of Christ. And there's several different Scriptures there, but um, there's, there's a Scripture that says that um, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is raised from the dead, that Jesus um, says at one point, I have the authority to, to raise myself from the dead. And there's another one that talks about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we, we, have, we turn to these three big events in the history of mankind uh, to talk about the Trinity. And, uh, and so that, that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to focus here on Jesus' baptism. And, and again, I, I want you to hear this because the description is very important. Starting in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and out of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Okay, Jesus is coming. He says, Wrath is coming. He says, Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, and do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I will baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His watering fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And here's what John says. John says when Jesus comes, he will bring a different type of baptism. Now he says his baptism will be about the Holy Spirit and will be about judgment. Okay? And he says those that receive the Spirit will be good trees and will produce good fruit. You follow me? And he says, guess what? Those that don't those that don't will be collected and thrown into the fire. He's saying this is the distinguishing mark. This is the distinguishing mark for the Father. This is the distinguishing mark when it comes to judgment. Have they received the Holy Spirit? Have they been born again? He says this new birth will bring about new deeds or, or good deeds. Now, following that, we have the description of Jesus' birth, or Jesus' baptism. Here we go. Starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John 
consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I wonder, as you hear that section of Scripture, if you see it or not. Here is the Son. The Father is speaking. The Holy Spirit has descended and is hovering and is lighting. What is it? It's a portrait of creation. It's it's a portrait of what happened in Genesis 1. 1. It's a beautiful picture. It's the creation account all over again. By this act, through this baptism of Jesus, men will be made new. Through this act, through this, through this baptism of the Holy Spirit, men will be born again. There will be new creations made to bear new fruit, good fruit. It's part of this baptism of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the second part of the case. And then there's the third. For that, I would turn to Paul. Now, I'm going to label Paul as the greatest God thinker that ever lived, and we can debate that, and you can say, well, Jonathan Edwards was great, or, you know, Spurgeon was fantastic. Well, that's great. And I, I think those guys were great. But last I checked, they didn't write half the New Testament. Just saying. So here we have Paul, and, and, and Paul who, who uh, is just this deep thinker of God, and you can read that as he writes. And I want to take you to three places that he talks about this, this thing called new creation. Let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse uh, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God. So he, he writes the church in Corinth, who, who was a church known for immorality, who was a church known for their struggles, and, and maybe you, you think, oh, as a Christian, I should never ever have a struggle again. Paul's writing to remind them, listen, in Christ you're a new creation. And, and the old is gone, and, and the new has come. You are a new creation. He, he does very much the same thing in Galatians chapter 6, um, as he writes this, uh, this farewell. In Galatians chapter 6, uh, in verse 15, now, now this is how he sums up his life. He, he, he literally is, is saying goodbye. He, this, this is the last little thing that he writes. Galatians chapter 6, in verse 15, he says this, listen, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. He's saying don't be consumed with outward symbols. Get this. He, he's about to tell you what means something, by the way. He says, listen, outward symbols don't mean anything. You know what really matters? He's, this is what really matters. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That's what's important, he writes. So the, 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 the important thing is, is not your outward symbols. The important thing is that your heart has been born again. That's what's important. That you have been made new. That's what matters. Lastly, I'd share with you Ephesians 2.10. And uh, why does all this happen? I, I, I love this uh, passage. And if, if you ever wanted to see from death to life, 
from, from not saved to having received Christ, from, from, from um, old nature to new nature, read Ephesians chapter 2, and in verse 10 he says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, okay, not underlying that, created in Christ Jesus. When are we created in Christ Jesus? When we receive Him, we're, we're created in Christ Jesus. We're made new, okay? He's talking about new creation. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, that's the case for a new creation. That is it. We could go to other places. Again, we could spend this morning searching and searching and searching. Those are three of the strongest markers for this thing called um, new creation. And, and the Bible would say that if we've received Jesus, this is what has happened to us. This thing. That, that if we've believed in Jesus and we've received Jesus Christ, that we have been born again, that we've been made new. You remember Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. What, what must I do? You have to be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, well, how can I cry back up into my mother's womb? That makes no sense to me. Jesus wasn't talking about physical birth. He was talking about the spiritual birth that happens when we receive Christ. Why is birth important? Right? Because it's the beginning of all things. It's the beginning of all things. And Jesus clearly always taught that when you receive Him, you would be born for the first time of the Spirit. You would be a new creation. That's what the Bible talks and Paul talks about spiritual milk. That, that as that new creation, we, we, we have to grow in Christ and spend time with Christ. And then eventually he says, you've got to be weaned. And you, you've got to be weaned with some meat, brother. You can't just have somebody chew it up and, 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 and you swear it. At some point you've got to take some responsibility. This is the portrait all throughout Scripture of a new creation. Now, let me tell you what that means for you, and then we'll be done. Number one, it means for you that if you are in Christ, you have been made new. If you are in Christ, you have been made new, and you and me, friends, you need to write that down and underline it and put about 50 million exclamations back because the enemy wants you to believe exactly the opposite. The enemy wants you to believe that you are right now. The enemy wants you to believe that you are the same old sinner that you used to be. And, 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 and the enemy will remind you every time that you fall that, that you are indeed a sinner. But tell you, listen, you're not a saint, brother. You're a sinner. And you're just the same person that you used to be. You're still judgmental. You're still a liar. You're still a thief. You're still a liar. You're still a adulterer. That's what the, that's what the enemy is going to tell you. He's going to say, listen, you're not new. You're old. You're still sinning. You still do the same, as that, same things that you used to do. What do we do when we're faced with really both a lie and the truth from the enemy? You say, well, is it a lie and the truth? Well, I mean, he's telling the truth. We've sinned, isn't he? He's pointing out. He's saying, listen, you've sinned. He's telling the truth. But here's where he's lying. You're not the same. You're not the same. You're a new creation. It's stable, but you're not the same. You might struggle with the same sins that you used to, but those same sins no longer are your slave. You see, they used to be your slave, and they didn't have a chance but to live by them. You know, they wanted to rule you, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, and through His power, you can save them. 
creation is all about. That's what a new creation is all about. And so you've got to understand, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are new. That doesn't mean that the old nature won't mess with you. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? I had an evangelist come once, and he was talking about new creations and old natures. He says, you know, the thing is, when you were made new, you didn't receive your resurrection body right away, did you? I said, no, I sure didn't. This thing here just likes to grab into things and calories and hang around in this area. Right? My resurrection battle, if this was it, surely didn't grow any taller. I think I'm going to be 6'2 in heaven. Have me some, all these freckles are going to grow together. It'll be nice and tan. Tell my, baby, you better watch out. There's going to be something. Something up there. We, uh, he starts talking about this, and, and he says, listen, you notice that that's not what happened to you. You were made new. Your spirit was made new. But you live. This new spirit still dwelled within this earthly vessel. This cracked and messed up an earthly vessel. And, and this, this new spirit still lived in this fallen world. You notice creation hasn't been made new yet just because you received Jesus. He says, now what happens from this point forward is a battle. And it's a great battle. And the, and the Bible says that our, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spirits and the principalities of this dark world. We, we fail to realize that. And so it says, here's the battle that entails. I'm trying to keep an eye on the clock here. This is all extra. Okay? Here's the battle that entails. He says, the battle from now on is going to be between your newness, between your new nature, and your old nature. Because though you've been made new, that old nature, you notice when you received Jesus, you didn't get amnesia. Right? How many people wish that when they received Jesus, they could have gotten some amnesia? I mean, I think that you have about 20 years of junk. You know what I'm saying? 20 years of junk. I mean, you know, I mean, how come I didn't receive you when I was six, man? Because they think of all the goodness that they were doing still now. Years of junk and sin, and, and the enemy constantly reminds me of it and brings it up. And listen, he said, Here's the deal, brother. So now, here's the battle. You've got a battle between a new nature and an old nature. And he said, It's kind of like you imagine that uh, two bulldogs were born of the same litter. There was a white one and there was a black one. And you, 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 you get both of those dogs, they're on ball, and they grew up and they got big and strong. He says, Now imagine that you decided that the black one was all that you really wanted to feed anymore. And so you took, you know, he said, now those two big and strong pups, you let them at each other. They'll fight like crazy. They'll almost fight to the dead and neither one will give up. He said, now imagine that you just start feeding the black one and you stop feeding the white one for a while. What do you, how do you think that fight's going to work out? Which one's going to win? The black one, of course. The, 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 the other bulldog, right? So you, know, you feed the white bulldog and, 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 now, uh, and you start feeding the black one, now the white one's going to win. And, you know, and, 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 and he says, this is it. Whatever you decide, there's a battle between a new nature. There's a battle between the new nature and the old nature. And he says, listen, the amount of sin that is, is present in your life depends upon which nature you feed. Does that open your eyes a little bit? You see, we have a tendency. We have a tendency to go back and feed the old nature. We have a tendency to be selfish. We have a tendency to, to feed those thoughts of judging others, right? 
to feed those thoughts of self-sufficiency, to feed those, those, those times when we get angry. We, we have a tendency to feed those things instead of feeding that new nature. You say, well, how do I feed the old nature? Okay, I'll tell you. By doing the old stuff. By sitting in front of the TV. Right? By, by, by spending all your days on the computer or reading books or, you know, whatever, hanging out with the, the same old people. You, that's how you feed the old nature. How do you feed the new nature? Well, you get in God's Word. You spend time with His people. You go out and you serve others. That's how you, get, that's how you feed the new nature. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now, this battle will go on within you as long as you're still feeding both natures. It'll happen. And when I find myself having sinned and fallen flat on my face, it's usually because when I take a, take a step back and look at it, I look back and see I was feeding my old nature. Even if I was feeding my old nature the same amount I was feeding my new nature. You're following me? Okay? So, I would encourage you to feed the new nature. i, I got to get done, okay? Number two. Number two, what this means for you is that if you're in Christ, you can now produce good fruit. That's what it means for you. Man, if, if you're in Christ, you can now produce good fruit. You've been empowered to do so. That's huge. That's huge. Before when you were a slave to sin, when you were told by his way, there's no ability. When you were dead to Christ, there was no ability. But now you've been made new for what? Ephesians 2.10, to produce good works. That's a big, big deal. And so, so you've got to start believing. You can do these things. When I read this over the map, I hear this higher bill of righteousness. We don't have to shrink away from it because I have been made new so that I can live it. It's a big deal. You start believing that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living with inside of you to do these things. And I'll give you these two applications that aren't on your list. What, what can you do because of these things? Number one, I would challenge you to abide. Abide in Christ. Spend time with Christ. Think about Christ. Pray to Christ. I mean, you spend as much time with Jesus as you can. Why? So you can feed that new nature. Spend as much time with Jesus as you can so you can feed that new nature. If we are in Christ, we've been made new. You've got to remain in Christ. Secondly, I, 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 will, I will challenge you with this, and I said this on Wednesday nights, and, and man, if you're looking for something to do on Wednesday night, come to church. Uh, we have a Bible study, and it meets in, in the fellowship hall. And man, the Holy Spirit's just been wrecking that place on Wednesday nights. And we only have like 10 people, so there's plenty of room for you, okay? Uh, but I mean, he's just been showing up and doing some good stuff. And so we were in First Kings chapter 8, and we're looking at Solomon's prayer as they uh, dedicated the temple. And he says, God, uh, he turns to the people and then says, God, give us a heart to obey you. Give us a heart to keep your commands. And we turned over to the Sermon on the Mount and this whole topic that we've been having, right? That's what we need. Our prayer needs to be, God, give us a heart so that we can obey you. And here's what Solomon said. He says, so that the world around us may know that you are the one true God. And we go to Solomon and he says, listen, you are sitting on a hill. Okay? And, and you need to live your life in such a way that men can see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. It's the same thing, folks. It's the same prayer. Okay? Where do we have to live this way? Where we are? Okay, we've been empowered to live this way so that the world may know. So that the world may know. So here's your second application point, okay? This week I challenge you, don't focus on the times that you fail. Okay? When you focus on the times that you fail, you usually stay in those times. You usually think, I, I can't be righteous, I can't do this, I can't do good. Because here's the deal. We fail all the time. Alright? I'm trained to raise up a, a, a child. He's eight years old right now. He is like a and, and I realize, you know, you can already see all the things you did wrong as a parent. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't know about you. Do you have this time in your life? There's a certain time of night that all the goodness in me has gone away. Right? Okay? And I'm just, just going to go Would you guys pray with me?